The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm John Janetta, and I bring you greetings from very cold Heartland Family Service in Omaha, Nebraska, and Council Bluffs, Iowa, and I'll be one of your hosts for the hour. Today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different by profiling one of our emerging leaders here at Heartland Family Service, Shannon Mankey, who serves as the Iowa Behavioral Health Director and oversees all of our outpatient and residential services in Southwest Iowa. And joining us today to help have this conversation is my co-host, Jenny Frumer, who's the Associate Executive Director of Albert Jewish Family and Children's Service in West Palm Beach, Florida. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much, John. It's a pleasure to be co-hosting with you today, and I'm not going to discuss our weather here in Florida. (laughs) Yes, please don't. (laughs) And uh, we invite each of you in our listening audience to join in our conversation by calling 1-866-472-5790. You can also email us by clicking on the email host button on our show's landing page right under the bookmark show link. Uh, Well, thanks so much for joining our show today, Shannon. Thank you very much for having me. Um, You know, of course, we posted a a little bit of of your bio on our website, but perhaps we could get things started by having you share a little bit more about who you are and telling us what what drew you to the field of human services and work in the nonprofit sector. Sure. Um, You know, I remember actually taking my first sociology class when I was uh, a sophomore in high school, and I was just really intrigued by human behavior and um, how, and family functioning. And as I, that year we had to do a volunteer opportunity and I uh, went and volunteered at the Ronald McDonald House actually and um, just really found that uh, very enjoyable. And I just really enjoyed interacting with the families and the children there and and helping others. And so when I enrolled at um, Iowa State University, um, that's where I started originally, um, I decided to get into the human services field right away, actually. And so and your degree was in counseling and administration, both? It was human services and administration. And administration. Mm-hmm. So you always knew that you eventually, you, you wanted to work with people, but eventually you wanted to be a manager. I, you know, I didn't start out like that. I started out, I thought I really wanted to be a therapist. And um, as I kind of had uh, various uh, jobs. I'd, I've worked since I was, you know, probably uh, 14 years old, and, uh, and but not in the field, obviously. Um, but I had various uh, positions, and I just, as I kind of continued through college and um, got into the human services field, I started out working at a um, psychiatric um, facility for children with behavioral disorders. And there was a lot of things that were taking place. There was a lot of transition going on at that time, and that's kind of where I really decided that I thought I really wanted to go into more of a leadership role so that I could have um, more of a say and more of a voice and, um, and changing some of the things that were going on. And 
So, and then at what point did you eventually transition from being direct service into more of a manager kind of a role? Um, you know, as far as career-wise or as far as college, as far as my education? Career-wise. Career-wise? Um, I didn't, that didn't take place until actually I came to Heartland Family Service. So I started out with Heartland Family Service as a um, case manager for women and children and were, was working very closely um, with my um, supervisor, Mary O'Neill. And uh, when I would just constantly work with her, um, she was just really one of my mentors, but I would work with her consistently on, I really wanted to transition into a more of a leadership role with the agency. And so when the project director um, position came open for integrated care, um, her and I really talked about that that would be something, a good step for me uh, to transition into. And um, it, would, it was really across the whole agency um, integrating our services um, so that we were co-occurring. And so that, that really kind of opened the door for me um, into that role. Was that an easy transition or did you kind of miss the con- you know, day-to-day contact with clients? You know, I still actually at that time, I kept one client um, that I had been working with for about two years and I was worried about losing her in that transition um, of me get, moving into a different role. And so I really wanted to continue working with her until she was really done with services. So I continued to have work with her until um, she was done with services. And so I, I still had a little bit of it, of that client contact, but I really um, enjoyed um, the more um, management role, and because I could, there was I could make changes and um, and invite others to ha- you know give feedback and um, and help you know making those changes. So I felt like there was I just had a lot more of a voice. Yeah, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and it may have been asked in a different way, but up till that point, what about your experience? Do you think most prepared you professionally to move into that position? I would say definitely a couple of different things. One was my um, experience with direct care. Um, I really felt like having a true understanding of um, our, the, what the needs are of our clientele, um, of, of the community, really having that um, base understanding, or, and really it wasn't base, it was a really deep understanding of what was going on in the community and what our clients' needs were, that that really helped prepare me for that role so that I could be, you know, educated and, and confident in the decisions um, that I was making and the feedback that I was providing to others. And the reason, um, Shannon, that I was asking that question is that <clears throat> I think sometimes moving into what is you know, more of an administrative role mm-hmm. and then expecting and asking people to do their best work, I've often wondered if it's really helpful having been a direct service. Yes. I, I, I absolutely 100% agree with that, that I felt like that really helped me be better prepared for my position. And, and not just in my position as far as with employees um, being able to know that they know that I've done the work as well, but also um, in the community, you know, so that I am more, you know, well-versed and educated in what I'm, you know, passionate about and, and being able to talk to community leaders and um, funders and, you know, just a variety of different individuals. Um, so, that, I mean, I just feel like I, that passion is truly there because I worked with those individuals for so long. Was that, was that your sort of uh, career path too, um, Jenny? Did you start with direct service before you moved into uh, administration? Very definitely. I actually didn't even, I wasn't really aware in my early emerging years that I was even interested in administration. Um, 
And actually, when it came and the opportunities arose, I kind of went into kicking and screaming. (laughs) (laughs) And I hear that often from people. I didn't think this. I never thought this was something I was going to end up doing. And then here you are. Um, Shannon, um, you know, Mm -hmm. before we get too much more into our conversation, I think it might be helpful for our our listeners to understand the context a little bit better as far as um, the programs that you supervise now as Mm -hmm. the um, Iowa Behavioral Health Director. So maybe we could spend a little bit of time just talking about what they are, essentially Iowa Family Works and then our outpatient services. Sure. Uh, I'll start with Iowa Family Works. It's a uh, residential treatment program uh, for women and their children, and it's unique because um, the mothers can live there with their kids um, while they are obtaining um, substance abuse and mental health treatment. And that treatment process is usually a four- to six-month program. I would say our average length of stay is right around five months. Um, During that time, the focus is really on uh, substance abuse treatment, their mental health. We have a psychiatric nurse practitioner um, that works with each of the um, mothers in the program um, with their mental health needs. Uh, they're in group uh, from Monday through Friday from 8 until about 4.30 while their kids are either at school and or at child care. And then in the evening time is really spent on um, parent-child uh, relationship therapy, um, whether it be through family activities or actually individual sessions with the family therapist. Uh, we actually, are, I just um, saw today our uh, clinical supervisor and family therapist, she started our children's group this evening. So the, children's na- the children um, living at the facility will now have their own uh, group that they can participate in to help them with their coping skills and um, stress management. Uh, you know, we teach them a variety of different things. So our groups are um, very much um, ther- therapy-based, but then we also teach nutrition and financial counseling. We have an artist that comes in um, one to two times a week uh, that does art therapy with them. Uh, we do vocational skills um, so that we can help tra- transition them back into the community uh, and in the system and helping them find jobs. Um, they also volunteer um, while they're in our programs, so um, they volunteer at our local homeless shelter, or they also um, volunteer with Habitat for, Your hum- for Humanity. Um, that's, again, another way that they can build up their job skills uh, so that when they are leaving our program that they will be able to hopefully find um, some employment, and then uh, we also help them transition into housing. And you serve about 10 families at a time? Yeah, yep, about 10 families at a time we do, yes. Mm-hmm. And um, and then on the outpatient side, what services are you supervising there? Um, on the outpatient side, I'm uh, supervising our, um, our substance abuse and mental health treatment, our gambling treatment program. Um, we also have uh, um, we also do family family therapy up there as well, parent child um, relationship therapy, and. Um, Let's see. Oh, and then, uh, sorry, I lost your oh, for a second. <laughs> uh, we have our youth substance abuse program as well, and then we also have case management services, um, and those case managers help um, with all of um, the clients up there. We have one that's specifically for women and children, and then one that kind of works with everybody else up there and can help them um, accessing things in the community that they might need. You know, if they come in and they're you know struggling with transportation or they're struggling with finding housing or employment or um, just getting to treatment, those case managers then will help them with those um, things, and they can help any of our clients, whether they're in substance abuse, mental health, um, gambling and treatment program, um, they can, you know, assist in all of those programs. And then our and youth about, substance... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Jenny. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, it was Shannon. 
Yeah. Oh, that was me. Yeah, sorry. Oh, okay. Our youth substance abuse program um, is actually changing a little bit. We're actually integrating a new model, um, the multidimensional family treatment model. Um, three of our therapists will be trained in that um, this spring or this winter and spring. Uh, and that is a really intensive um, model that it's, you know, can go up to approximately six months, but it's not just working with the youth. It's really tying in the family into um, the treatment. And uh, so their hope, what the hope is, is that we'll reduce, reduce residential stays for youth and um, addiction. Great. Okay, so now I am going to jump in. Okay. And say a big congratulations, and it's no surprise that you won the 40 Under 40 awardee. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Which I understand is for a young professional who is making a significant contribution to the community. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. That is quite a continuum of care and services. Yes, that's, I mean, that's definitely the goal that we would like to try to provide everything um, and meet the, you know, needs of our community uh, so that we can, um, you know, my, my focus, I guess, has really been in the last several years is to really try and provide the best quality service uh, to the individuals that we are, you know, indeed serving. And uh, so I'm always looking for new um, innovative ways, trying to keep up with the, the current trends um, that are going on. For example, we're seeing a lot of um, prescription drug use. Mm-hmm. And so what are different ways that we can, um, you know, do, what ways do we need to change our treatment model in order to um, suit, you know, our clients' needs? And how many um, people would you say on average across those outpatient programs are you serving a year? And um, for outpatient, we serve approximately um, over 1,000 uh, individuals a year in our outpatient programs. In our residential program, we serve approximately 45 families. Wow, so a lot of people impacted yes. through the work that you're doing. That's fantastic. How many number? Oh, I hear we're going to break. Take away yes, time. we're going to take a real quick break, and then when we get back, we'll um, continue to continue to grill you on what you do, Shannon. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so um, please stay tuned, and we'll be right. Re- We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time for our special series on today's Biz Buzz. Learn how you can become the technology innovator who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next breakthrough business and industry strategy. Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. 
Does money drive you or does it serve you? When you listen to Money in Your Life, you'll discover the answer to that question. Tune in as hosts Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins bring you thought-provoking discussions designed to help you understand and assess exactly how money operates in your life. Take control of your personal finances. Money in Your Life is broadcast live every Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Make your money work for you. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Good afternoon. I'm John Janetta, and along with my co-host, Jenny Frumer, I want to thank you for joining us today. If you're just tuning in, we've been talking to Shannon Mankey the Iowa Behavioral Health Director at Our Own Family Service, about her leadership journey. And um, while we were on the break, uh, Jenny said, um, you know, wow, I thought um, people in the Midwest spoke slowly. So uh, we've been um, asking a lot of Shannon, and she's been giving us lots of information. And, um, and Jenny, had, uh, you had a really great question while we were on the break, and uh, it'd be, mm-hmm. I think it would be good to start that discussion now. Yeah, sure, John. Um, although who am I to really talk about how people speak, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> One of the questions, Shannon, as you're talking about this really wide kind of scope along the continuum, just to hear you, I get this image that, um, like, I wonder what kind of staffing structure you have and how do you actually end up keeping this from being really siloed, all these different parts of, of the continuum? That's a really excellent question. Uh, and it's, not, I would say it's not, there's not an easy answer for that. I mean, w- one of the things that, there's been a lot of transition during this last year, and one of the things that we have done is um, our current, clini- our associate clinical director that's over our Iowa services, she actually is now overseeing um, a clinically our family works program too. Uh, so she's kind of overseeing the whole clinical structure from our outpatient through our residential services. And so I think that's really helped kind of get everybody um, on the same page and um, provide that whole continuum. Um, You know, we have a really, our our residential uh, program has a really great uh, um, relationship with the therapists and the um, staff up at our outpatient office. And I think it really helps because I worked at the outpatient office um, prior to um, overseeing Family Works and then coming back to the outpatient office again. So I think that's kind of helped in the, in the continuity of um, services and um, the way that that process has grown. Um, you know, I, we have, besides myself, you know, we have our, our clinical associate clinical director and then we have um, clinical supervisors underneath her to help oversee all of the services. And, you know, one of the things that we've made a commitment to doing is providing, um, is hiring uh, therapists that are duly credentialed. Um, so when they, uh, when we hire somebody, you know, we're telling them right away when they walk in the door, 
or before they walk in the door or before they're hired, that they, um, you know, we don't just do substance abuse. We don't just do mental health. We do the whole continuum of care. Um, you don't just get to do outpatient, you know, groups. You do individuals. You do groups. You do um, intensive outpatient. So there's a uh, so that way everybody is well aware of kind of what they're getting into before they come in. But saying that, everybody also kind of has their niches. Um, we have certain you know therapists that really you know they know that they're going to do um, you know substance abuse mental health groups and um, evaluations and things like that. But they're also they're really interested in um, doing uh, family uh, therapy or parent child relationship therapy. And so we then work with them on getting you know, certified in those different um, areas so that way um, they can be providing then a broader service to our clientele. Does that answer your question? Yes. Um, In theory, it sounds great. And (laughs) it sounds like, and the point that I'm really wanting to make, it, it doesn't happen overnight just because people are appointed to certain positions or are functioning in certain positions. It It's really a process, it sounds like. It truly is. It really takes, I mean, I think a lot of communication and a lot of um, people willing to work together, you know, for lack of a better um, phrase, the greater cause. You know, I mean, I think that's one thing that we can say at Heartland Family Service. Everybody who's, you know, working here really has a passion um, for uh, our mission and and what we do. And so um, I think, I feel like, you know, the... um, my supervisor who was in this role before I was, you know, um, certainly did a lot of um, legwork and, and laid the groundwork um, for this process. And so I'm, you know, super appreciative of Mary for, you know, doing that. And that's been very helpful along the way because, um, you know, certainly we have, you know, great staff who really buy into the process and, and know that, you know, they're very passionate about their work. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a different um, interview for me because I'm interviewing somebody I know, Shannon, and you. <laughs> And so I know I know more background information than I typically know about the guests that I'm talking to. So one of the things I, that I know about you that you haven't mentioned yet is that um, one of the things that you did, and I think you were you were involved in this right around the time that I arrived, um, was um, you led a change management process mm-hmm. for the agency. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because sure. I think that experience really um, defines some of the way you lead because you're really um, systematic in your approach. Yeah, that was, um, and that was really my first experience, um, truly in a a more management type role. And um, when I, I interviewed with um, Barb and Mary for that position, and I was, you know, working with um, both of them, where it was really great in that position, and kind of, um, it really just was because it was across the agency. We, our, our agency is on two sides of the river. So we're on, and we're on the Iowa and we're on the Nebraska side. And so it, which is kind of unique, I think. Um, and so we have, you know, staff kind of scattered all over the place. So it was really, uh, a very interesting experience because I really, what Barb used to say, I had to kind of herd cattle sometimes. <laughs> and so that's kind of what it felt like. It was just trying to get everybody on the same page and, um, and try to drive that, you know, this is our new, um, direction that we're going. We're going to integrate services um, so that we're, you know, truly co-occurring and trying to get everybody on board with that wasn't always easy, but I think that because I had such um, great support from both Barb and Mary, and then I was really involved at the state level with um, our co-occurring task force and with um, Dr. Minkoff and Dr. Klein and having their support and being able to bring them in, I think that really helped um, that process 
along and getting buy-in from everybody. Um, I think one of the approaches I always try to take is that, you know, I really try to be very accepting of feedback no matter what that feedback is or what the idea is. And I really just try to, you know, even if, if it's something that I don't feel like matches with the um, direction that we're going, I try to, you know, take it in and then not, and so, and not react to it. And, and so that they, that person feels like they're being heard because I feel like if, if an individual feels like they're being heard and, and you can validate what they're, you know, thinking or reframe even a little bit that, you know, hopefully then you're going to be able to gain their buy-in into the process. And I felt like that's kind of the approach I really took um, in the project director role for integrating our services. Does that answer? Yeah, I mean, I I I, I think so. I mean, I I know that um, I know that that it's had a huge impact and continues to have a huge impact on the agency. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of see that approach reflected in what you're doing now, even though that's not your. I mean, it's obviously still part of what you're doing, but not what you do, not your main responsibility. Right, and I think you know, I I, it was an amazing project because it was it was about an 18 month project, and it really, I mean, it was. I mean, that was my full-time job at that time was, was really doing that. And it was great because I got to work with so many different individuals across the agency. And so I wasn't just in one office. I mean, I was really across, you know, the whole agency. And that was really helpful because you could hear then everybody's different perspective. So I didn't just have my own opinion anymore. I could really kind of see where everybody was coming from and help drive that process from an agency perspective rather than, you know, maybe one office perspective. So, Shannon, you're, you're relatively young. You had to be in order to um, be, even be nominated for the 40 Under 40 Award. Um, how have you managed, and, and you've managed to grow your career to a pretty wide span of responsibility. I think it would be really interesting for our listeners, since this is a show about leadership, what helped you along the way as you grew your leadership? What, what really helped you to be able uh, to do that, would you say? Sure. Uh, you know, I think there's several things. Uh, one, uh, having um, my family, um, I mean, my, especially my mom and my husband, they've been very, very supportive of my um, motivation and my goals. And so that's been really helpful along the way. I think my education, um, being able to um, both get my, you know, bachelor's and master's degrees, you know, that education really helped um, me in um I think in helping me with and when I was in direct service and direct care, but then really also helping me get into this more management role. Um, having mentors like Mary O'Neill and then Nancy Schultz, um, who's also who is our vice president of our Iowa professional services, um, you know, having both of them, honestly, it was amazing being able to have these two strong women and then my mom too. So then I had three, these three strong women that really kind of helped guide me along the way. And um, I just felt like, very fortunate that I've been able to go to them at any, you know, time um, for feedback um, or, you know, when I'm stuck, you know, but I'm a pretty independent worker and, and that's one of the benefits of, you know, where I feel like at Heartland Family Service and of having bosses like, you know, Mary and Nancy that they give you that freedom to, you know, be independent and kind of go, um, you know, with what you're wanting to build. But at the same time, um, I feel like I can go to them at any time if I'm, you know, if I am stuck at a point. And so I feel like those, those things were really helped me kind of continue to move. I mean, I just feel like 
I, there's more I want to do, of course, <laughs> but, sure. I, <laughs> but I, but I feel like that, that having them in my, in my life really has helped me kind of want to, it's helped me, inspire me to continue to grow because I see what they've accomplished. And I just think it, you know, it's really, really awesome for lack of a better term. <laughs> what if anything got in the way? Um, well, of course, you know, <laughs> I had children along the way and I, you know, while I loved my children, um, at the time when I was, you know, having babies, I was, you know, actually doing that project director role and trying to, you know, get my master's degree. And so I think they didn't get in the way necessarily. I think that, um, that just, I think things didn't come to me as quickly as what I wanted them to. I obviously, you know, and I, so it's, it's nice to hear you guys say, oh, you're so young. And I don't feel necessarily that <laughs> one, <laughs> that way. But, uh, but then at the same time, I do recognize that I've been able to accomplish a, a lot, um, at my age. But, um, you know, I think the other things that get in the way is I think just life sometimes, you know, in general, it's busy. So, you know, um, given what you do, and um, especially understanding, um, you know, trauma-informed care and what have you, and the importance of self-care. How have you, um, how have you, de- you know, sort of developed and really stayed true to a self-care plan for yourself? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Self-care, I feel, is really important. It's not even just something for myself, but it is something that I really emphasize with each of my staff. Um, and but as far as for myself, uh, you know. I, for me, I've really emphasized it not only for myself, but I've also let, like Mary Nancy, know that this is my self-care plan, and if I don't go do this, th- then I'm not going to be um, what you need me to be. And uh-huh. so, one of my, you know, plans I have is exercise, eating right, of course, reading. I need to be able to read, you know, not, and and I mean, and read professionally, but I also need to be able to read for fun. So those sure. are some of the things that I do to take care of myself, and then just being able to have downtime where I can just, you know, spend with my family. So, but the way I do that is, you know, really trying to, there are certain times of the day, you know, like at dinner time, I turn my phone off. I don't have my phone on. I'm not answering that email during that time. I'm not answering that phone call during that time. You know, really from the time I walk in the door until, you know, usually until my children go to bed, I um, try to just stay away from work so that I don't get that burnout. Um, Sure. And I usually try well, go I just got the cue that we're going to take a break. So, oh, mm-hmm. um, but when we get back, we'll continue to talk about how you how do you manage that self care because it's an important part, I think, of mm-hmm. leadership leadership mm-hmm. growth and just good leadership in general. So, yeah. uh, when we return, we'll con- we'll continue that conversation with Shannon as well as um, maybe talk a little bit about how the implementation of the Affordable Care Act is going and uh, where you see some opportunities and challenges on the horizon. So, please stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more on leadership matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. the boardroom to you voice america business network leadership matters is brought to you by innovisions need to improve leadership staff or organization performance contact innovisions today for quality effective and affordable leadership staff and organization development training coaching and consulting services call 858-244-8264 
That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Welcome back. Once again, I'm John Janetta, and along with my co-host, Jenny Frumer, I want to thank you for joining us today. We've been talking to Shannon Mankey, who's with Heartland Family Service, about her leadership journey. Um, Shannon, we had talked about um, moving our discussion towards the Affordable Care Act, but uh, Jenny had a good question over the break that I think is worth asking. Jenny, do you want to do that? It doesn't have to be quite this dramatic, though. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was just really curious because um, it sounds like you are the kind of person being open to feedback, really taking care of yourself, understanding that other people need to take care of themselves, that there must be occasionally a bad day or a bad meeting or a bad moment. And I was wondering if you have any tips for listeners about how to kind of move beyond that moment mm-hmm. in in the context of self-care, but also when you really are trying to integrate services when you are um, really looking at how to move an organization to a deeper understanding or to um, become more integrated that way. And we were talking earlier about getting people's buy-in. Mm-hmm. So here's the real part of the question is what do you do? How can you, have you, how have you best managed to kind of get beyond that or manage that, I should say. So kind of moving beyond when, you you know, you've had a bad meeting or trying to move beyond when people are resistant maybe to change. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, You know, as far as if it's been a difficult meeting or a difficult day, you know, one of the things I do is I try not to personalize it and I really truly try to to let it go Um, and Really try then to come back though and work through it with if maybe if it was with a certain individual and just kind of come back and get their thoughts on kind of how did they think things really went and you know maybe what could have been you know done differently you know as far as you know trying to gain others um, you know buy in I I feel like the one of the biggest keys is listening and communication and you know that I that may sound 
truly generic, but honestly, if, if you ha- can have really effective and um, quality communication with individuals, I, that goes a long way. When your employees know that you care and that you care not just only about what they do, but that you care about um, how things are going and what's going on with them, maybe in their own personal lives, uh, you know, especially as it relates to things like self-care, um, you know, I think that then you you create that, you know, atmosphere that, you know, is an environment where you're going to have bad days sometimes, but that's okay. And that, you know, and that I think it really does move people to buy in when you can, uh, you know, show them that you do care about the work that they do and about what's going on with them. Um, I, I guess I, that's kind of how I would explain it. I don't know. It sounds like, if I'm understanding you, mm-hmm. it's really being genuine and authentic. And, yes. you know, you said that you take a lot of feedback and mm-hmm. you're always open to it. And so I think sometimes we find ourselves or leaders kind of, I this is just my experience, might get stuck in a place where they go, well, I have to be perfect too all the time. <laughs> yeah, that could be. <laughs> um, you know, I think... One of the things I would say when you talked about, uh, you know, people, you know, that I'm very open to feedback, I am. I think what that creates, though, being that open to feedback and truly listening to a person, it makes it a lot easier to deliver um, the constructive feedback when you need to. Um, You know, I I love to give the positive feedback and the positive, you know, the pat on the back and, you know, great job and all of that. But, you know, there are times when, you know, in every, you know, everybody knows when they're in a leadership position, you're going to have to deliver some really tough feedback. And I think it makes it a lot easier um, if you've been able to be genuine and open and upfront with them from the beginning um, um, on how, you know, what's going on, whether it be with them or in the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, as far as the the perfection, I, mean, I, I would say uh, I, I tend to have some of those tendencies like where I want to be, you know, perfectionist or I want to be, you know, the best that I can be. But I also know that, you know, I'm going to have a bad day sometimes and that I can't always be that. And if I try to be that, then I'm going to um, stress myself out. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. not going to help me in my position. And it's certainly not going to help others that I'm, you know, leading and developing. And you mentioned it before, um, Shannon, you talked, uh, you've mentioned quite a bit that the two people that you report to, um, Mary O'Neill, who's our assistant VP for behavioral health, and uh, Nancy Schultz, who's the vice president, that you have these two um, supervisors, strong women, mentors, mm-hmm. and I'm guessing probably that there are people that will listen to you when you've had a bad day and help you process it. Is that is that an accurate That is very statement? accurate, yes. I know that I can call them at any time uh, or, you know, step into their office and, and talk about things when, I'm ha- when I am having a bad day. Um, I've been very fortunate to, I just have such a re- relationship with both of them that I know that I can go to them when I am having a bad day or things aren't necessarily going the way that I would like them to. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely very accurate. I know for me, sometimes it seems like that's where I'm most valuable as a manager or a supervisor or leader people is being that ear that just listens to mm-hmm. uh, somebody who's had a bad day and just to listen and process and if there's yep. an opportunity to give feedback, but most often that's not even asked for or wanted. It's just, just listen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I also know that like Mary and Nancy, they have, um, 
different ways of leading too. And so I also know what I can expect when I walk into Nancy's office or what I can expect when I walk into Mary's office. So it's kind of, it's nice because if it's a, you know, if I know what I'm looking for as far as that um, reassurance or um, maybe just that constructive feedback, I know who to go to for that. And that's really helpful to be able to have that um, variety of supervision has been great. That's an astute comment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, um, Going back to um, where we left off before the break and talking about the Affordable Care Act, because I know that's on a lot of people's minds nowadays um, with all the media coverage and knowing that beginning the beginning of the year, we're now um, already past the first week of that new year, um, implementation is in swing. And so I was just, um, I think it'd be interesting to kind of hear from you who's, you know, really um, in the trenches leading a behavioral health um, um you know, series of programs that are obviously going to be impacted by this act because I think, I mean, one of the main tenets of the act, as I understand it, is really to provide better access, not just in general to healthcare, but also to behavioral healthcare. So mm-hmm. have, have you seen, do you see good or, or bad things or both coming down the road, Shannon? And, and have you experienced uh, anything yet? Um, you know, I do see good. I, I mean, I feel like obviously more people are going to be covered, which is great. Um, so that definitely helps that we, you know, we, and on, in our office, we don't turn people away, um, be, because of lack of income, but obviously that impacts the budget. Um, but, so I think that will be very impactful that we will be able to serve more people and hopefully more people will, it will, you know, they will try to access these services more because they do have, um, coverage now. Uh, I think there's a lot of unknown. I think that's the biggest probably concern right now is that we don't know what, for those that will qualify um, for like the, things like the wellness plan, what are those reimbursement rates going to be? So from that perspective, from a financial perspective, what I'm looking at, uh, you know, the kind of the bottom line is what will those reimbursement rates look like? And um, knowing that our numbers are probably going to go up as far as the clientele that we're serving, will we be able to hire, will we have enough um, you know, reimbursement to be able to hire, you know, more um, therapists and staff so that we can continue to serve in the capacity that um, we need to be serving the community. Have, have you seen, I, I can't remember exactly when uh, the enrollment phase started. Was it October mm-hmm. 1? Yeah. But ha- have you seen clients that you're serving getting, doing, you know? We had not seen any that? until this week. Um, and that was because, right, it was, let's see, in December, um, things were really starting to come down that, okay, you know, we really need to start getting our, trying to get our, encourage our clients to go apply for, for coverage. And however, we know that the clients we serve, they don't have a lot of access to things like a computer or sometimes even a telephone. And, um, so our, actually it was a role I asked our case managers to take on was to, um, you know, get more information. I gave them what I had and then get more information from our local health center, community health center on how that they can help our clients apply. And so that's actually what they've been working on is trying to help our clients as they come in. If they haven't applied for coverage, don't know how to apply for coverage, then they're helping them actually apply um, for coverage, um, whether it be in our office or taking them to the library or whatever it might be so that we can. And we, and what actually the, one of the case managers, um, came into my office uh, yesterday, and she said, we have our first one that I helped her get covered. <laughs> so she wow. showed me the card. So, yeah. So, it, Are it you seeing starting. people getting insurance, Jenny, in Florida? Um, Florida tends to always, unfortunately, be really 
one of the last states to do anything. That's not a political statement. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we just have such long wait lists for everything and um, tend to rank about 49th or 50th next to Alabama or Mississippi, depending on how you look at what you're looking at in terms of education and health care and things like that. Things are very quiet here. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Now, of course, that's just my perspective. But well, my, per- my perspective, too, is that Iowa tends to be, if, if Florida is at the, at the lagging end, I would say Iowa tends to be more at the leading end. Wouldn't you say, Shannon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they tend to be more progressive in, in those areas, I, I feel like. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, and, I, and what we're hearing now is that they need to be signed up by January 15th in order to have coverage starting February 1. And so those that haven't signed up yet, so we're really trying to get people, um, you know, at the door, you know, if they haven't signed up, trying to help them get signed up so that they can have coverage uh, and, you know, for our services. There's been no, almost no local promotion advertising other than what you might see on kind of cable TV or national TV. Wow. Very little that's happening here Mm. to encourage people to do Did did Florida take advantage of Medicaid expansion? Mm, Not so much. No. And uh, what did... Oh, we're getting ready to go to a commercial. Maybe when we get back, we can pick this up again, Shannon, real quickly. Um, I can't recall off the top of my head if Iowa did or not, or or did they go to developing their own Iowa plan, or maybe it's a combination. I don't know. But uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll gather any final thoughts from Shannon and find out what's in store for her next, because she said she's got more plans. (laughs) Uh, So please stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network leadership matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. need to improve leadership staff or organization performance contact InnoVisions today for quality effective and affordable leadership staff and organization development training coaching and consulting services call 858-244-8264 that's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. How is your plan going? Could you use a little help on your path to success? Why not step up and play big? Join host Chris Ruisi for a show that will help you identify the possibilities that await you. Too many people succumb to just being average when they could be exceeding average without too much more effort. It's time for you to become exceptional. Raise the bar to your success. Basically, it's time for you to step up and play big. Join Chris Ruisi every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Welcome back. Once more, I'm your host, John Janetta, bringing you greetings from Heartland Family Service in Omaha, Nebraska, and Council Bluffs, Iowa. And along with my co-host, Jenny Frumer from Alpert Jewish Family and Children's Service in West Palm Beach, Florida, I want to thank you for joining Leadership Matters today. We have been having the most interesting conversation with Shannon Mankey, the Iowa Behavioral Health Director at Heartland Family Service in Council Bluffs, Iowa. And before we went to the break, uh, we, were, we were just talking a little bit about Medicaid expansions. And, and so, Shannon, I'm going to start off with that. Um, where, where did Iowa land with that? Did they take that on or did they do something different? Yes, they did do the Medicaid expansion. They did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, are you seeing any opportunities yet that's coming from not just the Medicaid expansion, but just the whole Affordable Care Act implementation in general? You know, I think uh, you know, kind of like I was discussing earlier. I think the opportunity is, is that we will see more people have coverage, and hopefully, that will create. Um, more interest on their part in, in, you know, getting treatment um, for whatever um, might be ailing them. And so I think, you know, there's, I think that then could create an opportunity for expansion for us um, as far as our outpatient services as well as um, our family services that we provide. So I think there are some opportunities. It's, again, it's just kind of all contingent on what will those reimbursement rates look like because we still don't know the answer to that yet. And, and when you think of those opportunities as a as a leader and manager, mm-hmm. you know one of the big because you talked about expansion a lot as being an opportunity that means more employees. Yeah. Um, are you are you able to find the people that you need with education, credentialing, experience that's required? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> I think, <laughs> uh, you know, I I would say you know as far as in our residential program, I I have. Um, a good deal of luck in getting, you know, bachelor's level um, in there for as far as for case managers. And as far as for therapists, though, it's really difficult, I believe, to find, um, you know, someone who's got the education and the correct credentialing. Uh, you know, we actually, we just went through a hiring process, and it took us a good four months to find three qualified applicants that really met, um, you know, our needs uh, for our programs. So I think that is uh, difficult. And, you know, I think there's been a lot of um, discussion and a lot of movement in education, and I think individuals are coming out um, better prepared as far as their education um, for, uh, you know, the human services world, but they, I think, at times lack experience, and so that's kind of what I'm currently seeing, and then the credentialing piece. So that's the barrier. There's there's people going into the programs. You're, there's just not enough people coming out with Right. Or at least for your purposes, who have some experience that's needed. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, is is pay an, an issue? Pay is definitely an issue. Yes. <laughs> so, so if those I mean, reimbursement that's... rates go up, it, it might not be that we're necessarily hiring a bunch of new therapists, but maybe paying our therapists more. Yeah, I think that both. would be that would be obviously ideal. If we could pay our, you know, therapists more, then I think that would make it a lot easier for us to retain them. You know, what we hear from them is that they love the work that they do, um, love the agency, but, you know, pay is an issue. Um, And I think it's really difficult to, uh, you know, 
and I think pay is not just an issue with our agency, it's an issue, you know, across, you know, with other agencies as well. And I think what you see is you have individuals who go to school and they, you know, have student loans and they, and they know what they're going to have to be paying back. And then you say, well, this is what your starting salary is. That's really defeating for an individual coming out after they get their master's degree and also have the licensing, you know, to um, serve the individuals we need them to serve. So, yeah. I, yeah, I think if we could increase pay, um, you know, that's that would be another opportunity as well. Yeah, if we could, if those reimbursement rates go up, that would be wonderful so that we could increase the pay for employees. And sort of coming full circle as we started this conversation with you about, you know, sort of what helped you to grow your leadership, what are some things that you think we could be doing besides obviously improving the pay to attract more talented people like yourself to this field and keep them? Um, I think... You know, besides, yeah, besides, definitely besides the pay, I would say, um, I think one of those things that, you know, our agency already does is really when people are voicing what they want to be trained in or what they want to specialize in, being able to provide those opportunities for them and being able to provide opportunities for people to, um, you know, <laughs> live their the dreams that they have, you know, the um the the vision that they have being able to, you know, produce that vision and and see it come into, you know, fruition. And uh, you know, Heartland Family Service definitely does that, I feel like. But, you know, I think that that that's how we can continue to retain employees is being able to, you know, help them, you know, live their vision. Well and that's a great sort of segue to uh I think what uh, Jenny had indicated, we were talking on the break, um, about, uh, and she shared the fact that she was excited to hear what was next for you. So what's your vision, Shannon? Because you had mentioned earlier on you have other plans. I do. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I love um, all of the services we currently provide, but a couple of things I would like to um, add on is I would like to add on a family enrichment center, um, one of where that would be specifically for all of our families, um, that they would go there for all of their parent-child relationship therapy, family therapy, and that, that center would be specifically for that. Um, I would also like to add in, um, I'd like to expand our Iowa Family Works program, our residential program, um, and then add in transition housing for that program as well. Uh, so that way that we can continue along that whole continuum of care because it's very difficult for them to go from residential back to, into independent living. So if we could continue to provide all of that and um, that would be, you know, benefits our clients. And Are you saying, do you see any need for residential uh, treatment for men or is that already covered, yeah. do you think? I think that would be ideal as well to be able to have residential for both men and single men and um, single women. And I think that's also an opportunity, you know, with the Affordable Care Act is, is, will it be covered? If those, if that will be, if that residential piece will be covered, then that would be another opportunity to expand that into our community as well. John, how are your fa- fundraising skills lately? <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I guess I got to kick it up a notch or two. <laughs> but, you know, um, Shannon's programs get such great results. She didn't really talk about that, but like with uh, her Iowa Family Works program, 80% on average mm-hmm. of the women in the program complete, graduate the program successfully. And I think nationally for long-term residential care, the average is closer to 50%. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, she, 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 and when you have that kind of data, it makes it easy to do that kind of fundraising. Mm-hmm. So, um, Shannon, before we go, and, and we're getting close to um, having to uh, close up our show today, one of the questions that Jenny came up with that we'd like to ask all of our, our guests is, who would you, and because this is a leadership program, who would mm-hmm. you identify as sort of uh, your best example of a high-impact leader and why? 
Well, uh, that's an excellent question. I think, you know, one of the leaders I always cite is, is um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I, and I probably cite him because he was just all about living the dream and, you know, really wanting to um, accomplish and inspired you to, to dream. And that's kind of what I feel like is that I feel like I've been inspired by many of the individuals in my life and, and have really kind of dared me to dream. And maybe at times maybe said, oh, I don't know if you can quite do that. And, you know, I felt that to me is a dare. Okay. You, you uh-huh. tell me maybe I can't do something that I'm, I can do it. So I guess I've always felt really inspired by, you know, Dr. King and, um, you know, he didn't give up and didn't give up hope. And that's kind of how I feel with, you know, the community and the clients that we serve is that we can't give up hope that, um, you know, treatment does work. People can recover. Well, thank you so much, Shannon, for being with us today. And thanks as well to my co-host, Jenny Frumer. Thanks, Jenny. My pleasure. And thank you to our listening audience for tuning in. Please join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time for Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter.